Welcome to episode two of the We Can See You Sneaking Out podcast. First of all, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who has listened to the podcast so far. We're really grateful for the support and hope you continue to enjoy the future episodes. If you haven't already, then please consider subscribing so you don't miss out when those future episodes are released. Episode two was going to be the second part with Craig the Mansfield fan from the first episode, but we've decided to save that second part for a later date. Um, Craig was a great guest, but we wanted to vary the content a little bit to begin with and hear some stories from a different club and fan perspective. So this week, our guest is Chris, a Wimbledon fan. Chris is part of the nine-year Wimbledon podcast. He started supporting Wimbledon when they were in the Premier League in the 90s, and he was actually working for the club when they made the controversial move to Milton Keynes. I'm sure everyone listening would be really upset and angry if their club was taken from them and moved miles away. So it's interesting to hear how that impacted Chris. Chris was then involved with forming AFC Wimbledon and has supported them ever since. They've risen from step nine in non-league into the Football League in a short space of time um, and that's given him some really different experiences as an away fan. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to give you a little update about what I've been doing this week. So I ticked off a new away day stadium this week. I was at the Bolton Wanderers Stadium, but unfortunately it wasn't for a match. It was for a work event. Um, as part of the event, I did get to do the stadium tour, which included going up to the gantry, um, which is extremely high up. So anybody that's commentating there must be sure that they're not afraid of heights. And I've talked already um, on the podcast about how I prefer the sort of older, more traditional stadiums. Um, rather than those grounds that are built on retail parks and all look quite similar. But I must say, Bolton Stadium is really impressive. Um, and I wanted to talk about it really because part of the tour we got to look in the away team dressing room. And the guide gave us some interesting bits of information about what Bolton do to try and impact away teams. And I think we all know, you know, all clubs do it. Um, but I think the psychology behind it is really quite fascinating. So, for example... Um, they will turn the radiators up in the summer and completely off in the winter. Um, the away team dressing room has not been decorated since the ground was built. It was like being back at school with hard benches. The benches were positioned so the away manager would have his back to some of the players when doing a team talk. There's nowhere he could stand where he could see all of the players. Um, there was still a dent in the roof from where Frank Lampard had popped a champagne cork when Chelsea won the league there in the late 2000s. All the lights are different colours to try and um, mess with the players, give them a bit of a headache. And as the away team actually leave their dressing room and head for the tunnel, um, Bolton position a stretcher right by their exit. Um, and again, that's just to ensure that the players have that stretcher in mind. It's the last thing in their mind as they enter the pitch. Um, and I just thought that was quite interesting to share, particularly given our away day theme. Um, and I think it's, you know, as I said, it's fascinating that teams go to all those different lengths to try and get the edge over the opposition. I'd love to hear more of those. If you know of any that your club do, please send them in along with your own away day stories, please, as well, um, either via Twitter um, or email us at we can see you sneaking out at gmail.com. We can't wait to do an episode of stories that have been sent in by you, the listeners. The details of the free giveaway that I've mentioned already will be announced next week. You will need to follow us on Twitter for that, so you may as well do that now. And uh, our account is at We Can See You Pod. Contact details are in the description below. Um, and I th 
felt like I've talked to you too much already. So let's get on with episode two now. Chris, the Wimbledon fan, hope you enjoy. Take care, and I'll speak to you all next week. Okay, welcome to another episode of the We Can See You Sneaking Out podcast. This week, I'm joined by Chris, who is a Wimbledon fan and part of the Wimbledon Fan Podcast, Nine Years Podcast. Chris, welcome. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Nice, nice to be here. Great. Yeah, really looking forward to um, hearing your stories, um, given that you've been following Wimbledon um, a long time, and obviously it's well-documented uh, what happened and their... And their the rise from the non-league after what happened. So we'll get into that. But first, um, what I'd like to know really is how you came about supporting Wimbledon. What did that look like for you? Well, that was so it was the mid-90s. Um, I was a young teen and my brother, who was in the Cub Scouts at the time, managed to get free tickets to um, Wimbledon when they moved to Selhurst Park. It was just after the move from Plowland to Selhurst Park, which was contentious enough at the time, but obviously a result of the, um, the Taylor report after the Hillsborough disaster. We couldn't stay at Plough Lane, allegedly, because it wasn't big enough okay. to get an all-seater stadium. So they had to move to Plough Lane, which was there, sorry, to Selhurst Park, which was the other side of London. Um, and yeah, started off in the Arthur Waite stand, became a season ticket holder the following year with my dad and my brother, and have been going ever since. Excellent. Excellent. And um, as you know, this is a podcast based around away day. So I'm wondering, um, can you remember your first away day experience? Well, one of the first way I thought about this, because you, you primed me for this question. One of the first ones was, I think, 96, 97. Um, and we did the sort of, we did some of the bigger grounds, shall we say. Um, the one that really stands out was Anfield away, okay. standing in the away in there in, amongst 88 fans, because <laughs> we were really well supported back in the day. Um, and I, get, I think that was the year of the 88. And um yeah, that was one of the first away days, and that was, you know, train travel. I was too young to be to really enjoy the, the culture of the away fan, if you know what I mean. But yeah, um, yeah, the first real big away day was Anfield, and and it, that stuck with me because you you never really, I mean, when you when you've heard um, the cops singing, you never walk alone. Yeah, and those, yeah, it's it's you know, the, the hairs on the back of your neck go up. That was a quality away day. That one. Yeah, that's an amazing early experience to have, and mm. I guess. I, having that experience and, and going to such an, an amazing stadium with incredible atmosphere, I imagine that really drew you in and, and lit the fire, if you like, in terms of wanting to go to, go to more stadiums. Yeah, um, I, I think the, the, the one after that one was Bolton Wanderers away in the League Cup um, when they were still at Burnden Park and we yeah. were stood next to the Sainsbury's and my mate got glandular fever that day. <laughs> um, and that was, again, a similar story. Uh, only a few of us, and we were all huddled together for fear of catching our death. It was freezing. It was a night game. We won it, so there was a bit. Of, there was that wasn't too bad. But yeah. so that was a coach. That was coach through. That was coach travel through the club, and um, yeah, that was a long trip, but well worth it in the end. Yeah, I think it always makes it the journey a bit better, and you know, um, dealing with the weather a bit uh, weather a bit easier when um, you pick up the wind, doesn't it? Always, always great when we win. Our club president at the time, <coughs> um, and my brain has gone completely asleep, 
uh, Stanley was his name. He was a great cricket fan. For some reason, he was our life president. Stanley Reed, that was it. And he always used to come to the away end with with his. Um, he used to have someone help him round the pitch, and he'd he came up to us at Bolton away. It was drizzling. It was minus one, minus two, and God bless him, he still turned up. Did his cricket signalling to signal the score at the time, which I think was two one at the time, and then wandered <laughs> back off. Um, and he was he was great, Stan. He was mad as a box of frogs, but he always used to come and see us. And ble- I mean, he's long since passed, bless him. But he was a a great club president at the time. Really enjoyed those days. He sounds like a right character. <laughs> Unusual. There's some video of him uh, in the dressing room at I think he I think it might have been at Selhurst Park and. Um, he comes in afterwards and he, he always used to sing, regardless, win, lose or draw, come in and sing, here we are again, happy as can be, and to make all the players sing it. It was weird. Our team has always been really weird. <laughs> yeah. And again, we might get on to some of the sort of crazy gang days. Well, I guess that was, was that the start of the crazy gang? Well, the crazy gang apparently was, was around about the 80s when it really started, when, they, when we first rose up through the divisions. Yeah, um, and then then the branding started about nine in the mid nineties. Hmm. So when they really leaned on that, the crazy gang was always around. And then uh, some marketing genius decided, well, let's put crazy gang on everything. And it was on the kits, <laughs> on the membership cards, and you know, yeah. I mean, the first time it was really, I do apologise. Um, the first time it really got started was obviously Motson's famous line after the uh, Asiac Cup final: "Crazy yeah. gang beat the culture club." Yeah. Um, and that just stuck like so many things do and still around today in some form or other. Yeah. And so how was that with, you know, the fans when that all first started, did people embrace that? We, it was, it's weird. You know, when you want to be the cool kids and you think it's great, we've got this like subversive brand of football and players and we like to get, put it up and all that sort of stuff. So you wanted to be that. And then you also didn't want to be mainstream and not cool, like having a nickname and having a, membership club so it was very it was a balancing act i think as we as we drag us dragged ourselves from division four into the premier league and beyond yeah okay and you mentioned there a couple of times that you didn't have a huge away following those games that you went to so did that sort of start to change as as they progressed up the leagues oh yeah they, oh yeah bits and pieces i mean the problem was you, you know the 90s were a funny time because you you obviously started getting more popular in the Premier League launched and all that sort of thing, but we were notorious. I mean, we if we'd have stayed at Plough Lane and gone into the Premier League, it would have been happy days and we would have had rising attendance and all sorts. But we literally joined the Premier League and left our home borough. And yeah, um, you know, it's 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 not an easy jaunt from Wimbledon to Croydon. And imagine what it was like if you'd gone to Milton King. Oh, wait, they did. Um, it was it wasn't easy to get from Wimbledon to Croydon. I mean, this is the days before the tram existed, and you know, uh, and Sellers Park is an awful ground. Sorry if there's any Palace fans listening, but it really is. Um, I want to work there for a few years, so that's another joy. Um, and yeah, so our attendance has always dipped, and then obviously there was the old joke about always being outnumbered by the Man United and the well, it wasn't Chelsea fans at the time because there was no, no one about until Abramovich showed up. But the, you know, Man United, Tottenham's, Arsenal's, they always outnumbered us on home games. It was more like a home game for the away club. But it was part of the charm because, you know, we were the little club, big, not yeah. the big clubs, and it's good fun. <clears throat> we didn't mind. Yeah, that's great. <clears throat> and obviously you've attended a fair few away games since then and we'll, and we'll get on maybe in a little bit about 
um, what happened in terms of the move to MK Dons and the, the rebirth, if you like, of Wimbledon at Plough Lane. Um, I'd, I'd just be interested to know, what is it that is your sort of favourite part of, of travelling away to, to watch Wimbledon? Um, it's new, new experiences, different people. You mix with on away, good days, different ways of getting to grounds, you know. And, uh, you know, you tick off the grounds you do. When you, when I was younger, it was, it was a case of, oh, I need to go there, I haven't been there. And yeah. Different, you know, it, it, it's just a different mood on away games, isn't it? Because you, you're sort of the guests there and don't really have to behave. Not behave is the wrong word, isn't it? You get in trouble, but... <laughs> You know, you can muck about a bit. You know, it's nice to have a drink with your mates. Um, it's just the whole atmosphere, really. Yeah. You know, on their way then. A bit more of a camaraderie, a bit more of a us against them, even more so than was usual. Yeah, and I also think and it's probably different for, for <clears throat> fans of um, maybe more successful teams or teams at the top, but there, there all seems to be... I guess your expectations are a little bit lower. It's about enjoying the day, isn't yeah. it? And if you get the win, great. You know, you're not always expected to win away from home. You know, the home teams are often the favourites. So a win is actually, you know, that's like a nice bonus, isn't it, if you get the three points? But as you said, it's about the experience of travelling, mixing with people and, and enjoying going to, you know, to different places. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the experience you've had, and also just to see how other clubs are, how they run, what's available. As you get older, you get into the more boring stuff. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's just nice to sort of change your view on different clubs. You know, you never know what they're like when they're. You see what their away fans are like when they come to you, but you never know what it's like when they're at home and what sort of setup they've got. Yeah, great. And do you have a particular routine when you go into away games? Do you have? I know you mentioned. Oh, the no, 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 too old for all that. I don't have any sort of superstitions or anything. It is literally just find out what the cheapest, quickest train is to get there and get back, <laughs> and then find somewhere nearby. Um, yeah, no, we're very boring now. Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll maybe we'll we'll move on then to to what happened in the mid nineties with Wimbledon and and how that sort of Im- impacted you because I know there's you were you were involved with the club at the time, so that sounds like that might be quite an interesting story. Well, yeah, I mean, it depends it, um, if your listeners are interested that sort of thing, but. I managed to get a job at Wimbledon just after they got relegated from the Premier League because they were looking for someone to do their retail operation. Okay. Um, which was also about the time that Milton Keynes was floated, which is just excellent timing. Yeah. And um, uh, one, one of the stories that stood out was the people that... Because uh, towards the end of the 90s, just to go back a little bit and rewind, um, Sam Amam, who was in charge at the time, biggest shyster in modern football, in my opinion, is up there with Lorimer, um, sold Plough Lane from under our noses, even though there was a sporting covenant on it and pocketed 27 million quid. He also then looked for people to buy the club from him. And two Swedish or Norwegian, Norwegian powerboat owners decided to buy Wimbledon, which was just bizarre. Bearing in mind it had no, apart from the players on the pitch and the, the staff that were there, had absolutely no uh, collateral, no owners ownership of anything. We rented um, the training ground. We were, you know, we were tenants at Sellers Park. It was a ridiculous investment opportunity and would be laughed out of town. When we then got relegated, after they brought in the then Norwegian manager, Egil Olsen, who didn't have the slightest idea about English football and really did our legs, we then got relegated and they decided we're going to put a figurehead in there who uh, Charles Cockle was his name. God love him. Um, and look to try and basically, it's almost like asset stripping um, and trying to get us out of 
uh, Selhurst Park and they wrote off all the local options and said, right, Milk Kings is it. Milk, Milk Kings is the end of it. And they brought in a marketing director um, just at about the same time I joined. And one of the first conversations I heard him have was, if we move to Milton Kings, and I was like, just my back went up immediately. What if the people of Milton Kings don't want to watch football on a Tuesday night? And that struck that that spoke volumes to me because it's like it's got nothing to do with whether they want to watch football or not. I mean, football's on when it's on, and you go yeah. and see it. And it just, I mean, it just spoke volumes. And then because I was a fan as well. They were insistent to try and win me round because for some reason. I don't know whether that's what they thought I was going to do. Okay. Uh, I was not behind the Milton Keynes move at all, but he pu- pulled out some plans of what was going to happen at the Milton Keynes Bowl, which was this, uh, which is a concert venue up in Milton Keynes, and they were going to park up there, I think. And because I was running the shop and the retail arm by that point, because everyone else had either been in sacked or had left, I, I just looked at it and said, the first thing I said was, where's your shop going to be? You know, I hadn't even thought of that. It was just like, here's, here's four stands, there's a pitch in the middle, we'll go and play football up there, everybody will love it, it'll be fine. See you, me. Yeah, so, you know, it was, it was, um, oh, it's just, they put in a group of idiots who knew nothing about football. I think one of them was a marketing company for uh, trains or something. We cockle had run a bank, I don't know. And to be honest, it, it fades with time. I just remember the faces and the, um, the sense of dread every time I remember them. Um, and they, yeah, they naffed off to Milton Keynes saying, we're going to keep the colours and the crest and the club and the fans. And within, what, six months, they were in different colours, different crests, different fans, more or less, apart from about 2%, maybe. Yeah. Um, so it became a completely different club. Um, and luckily, in the interim, um, I was around when they formed AFC Wimbledon. I was one of the first 100 or so shareholders, I think, that when we set up the Don's Trust, which run the club at the minute, or own the club in Vertical. Um, so I was basically playing both sides of the fence. And that first season, um, I was working at Wimbledon and then going to AFC Wimbledon matches. Well, okay. kind of storm. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So you were still working in the... So where was was that shop still? Was that still in the same place? That was still at Selhurst Park, yeah. Oh, still, right. Still in the, they, we did open a shop on Wimbledon Broadway the year before and it was going great guns until then. Um, the first time that Milton Kings was mooted and agreed, uh, somebody put the window through, so he closed that up pretty quick. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's football fans for you, isn't it? Um, yeah, so I guess. We, we didn't bother after that. Yeah, and I, um, you know, you mentioned you were unsure if listeners would be interested in Wimbledon, but I guess it's it's a really unusual situation, and I think, you know, football is so important to people, and, you know, their clubs mm. are so important, so... I'm sure everyone can relate to or, you know, can't imagine anything worse than your club moving from its home, you know, all the sort of rebranding. It it, mm. it must be really difficult to experience that. It was when you see, because I managed to, I, was, I don't think privilege is the right word, but I had the, I was able to say from inside and out. And it was very much, we were, the club was on its, on its, uh, oh, I won't swear, but on its last legs. Feel free to swear if you want to. Yes. It's covered on its arse, basically. <laughs> um, there was a barely any income, even before the Milton Keynes thing was mooted. Um, crowds were diminishing because it was championship football. And yeah. at the time, I mean, well, it was league, what was it, Nationwide League One, I think. Well, I can't even remember what it was called. And it wasn't exciting. I mean, it briefly flickered, but then they, to make sure we didn't get promoted, they sold our best players towards the end of the season. There, there was definitely some uh, skullduggery going on there because I think they knew what they were going to do the next season. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's, it, 
it was on its ass, and I understand they tried to find a solution for it, but the solution was the nuclear option, which obviously, now as you can see, bottom four of uh, League One and, you know, the frenzy of football hasn't occurred. It's a regular joke that there's more empty seats than in the Milton Keynes game than there are people. Um, but that's not yeah. hard in the ridiculous size of that stadium that they've got there. No, um, it's strange, isn't it? Because you mentioned... You know, Wimbledon in, in those early days, you were outnumbered by away fans, and that sort of is now what's happening with MK Dons, isn't it? They're regularly outnumbered by 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 visiting fans. Yeah, it, it is. You know, the more things change, as they say, mm. the more they stay the same. Um, yeah, it, it is. Sometimes you, you see the highlights and it's just, it's in, I'd be embarrassed, but I'm not, you know, I don't feel sorry for them. I have no absolutely no... I have no feelings either way anymore. It's always funny when they're losing, obviously, but I'm just, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, I'm just, whether it's just a case of, I think up to when we played them at where we were at the time, which was Kings Meadow, um, which was, I think, 2016, and we beat them. That was the first time in the league we'd met and we beat them. Yeah. That was, that was it for me. It sort of closed the book on it. It just proved that a fan-owned team run by supporters could have done what essentially that team did Nicking our league place, yeah, and that was it for me. That was the leveler. That was where it it, it was the the end of that chapter. If that makes yeah. sense. And have have you visited MK Dons as an away fan then? Uh, only once. Oh no, I went. I went the FA Cup game we played, and that was the first time we ever played them when we were um we were I think League Two. They were League One, and it was the first time we'd been we'd been drawn against them. And then then I went uh, as part of the commentary team for the club. With chat because I've known the chap who does the um, radio Wimbledon uh, broadcast for oh good thirty years now, and uh, okay. he didn't have anyone to he didn't have anyone to co-commentate with, so I went up with him and and we beat them up there as well. And what was the auto windscreens back then? Or whatever it was called. So that was that was also funny. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and just just to sort of finish off on that, does was there? I know you said a small percentage of fans did follow them up to MK. Did, do you know anyone who made that decision? I know of two people that I think went up there, um, but what they're doing now, I don't know. I think one sort of realised and was sort of woke up to the fact that this was actually crap and came back. I don't know what happened to the other guy. Right. So personally, maybe two. Yeah. Yeah. Not that many. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so... there was talk of there was talk of all, you know, oh, we'll give you free coach travel from uh, from Wimbledon High Street every match and all this and subsidised yeah. train travel. None of that appeared because it was all crap. Yeah. It was just all pipe dreams. Let him all shit. Okay, now that's that's awful, isn't it? That's, that's, mm. that's, it's so bad. And... Everybody, everybody says, oh, what are you moaning about? You know, it would never happen to us. Well, going back, I mean, obviously, we mentioned, well, I mentioned to you just before we started, I mean, at one point, Luton were going to move to Milton Keynes Queen's Park Rangers were going to go. We were going to merge with Palace. We were going to go to Dublin at one point. There were so many stupid things in the 90s. Yeah. And then the stupidest one was the one that got through. Yeah. Yeah. But there we go. Bloody hell. Well, well, thank you for talking about that. I know it can be, it can probably be quite painful to relive that. Oh, it's like therapy. Don't be talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to, to something more positive then. And actually, you know, the the birth how would you describe it the the start of AFC Wimbledon chaotic it was um but great fun to be part of even though I couldn't be fully 
into it as it were because I was still working at Wimbledon it was it proved difficult to do both but I managed on the first season we so essentially after the decision of the FA which was again heavily shall we say influenced by outside sources um and <laughs> it was a 2-1 2-1 majority um and the Aston Villa I think he's still at Aston Villa Steve Stride his name was seems to have been the one that of course all the problems but we'll come back to that later um a few chaps all of whom I know not you know not, I know them personally but not very well um, said well let's just start start team up from scratch it seems quite fanciful now it wouldn't you know it wouldn't happen and they said we, just, we don't care how we do we don't care how we get on we just want to have a team call it Wimbledon play in Wimbledon yeah. Bob's your uncle um managed to get so we we did trials up on the common where about 300 people turned up um one chap was who who, uh, who came joe shear and he actually he played one time for a premier league club chelsea and had played come on as a substitute against wimbledon which was really random but he came and he ended up being our captain for the day um and we just pulled all these just random people together made a squad of about 20 and set up a, a friendly at sutton united um, who were very accommodating, um, despite the fact they had to put the kickoff back by about half an hour because so many of us turned out for it. We packed that ground out. Yeah. Um, and that was the start of it. And, um, you know, we then had another, I think, nine or ten friendlies where we had, I mean, every week was a changing roster of people that were involved. Um, so, And I managed to get to all those friendlies bar the last one, which was Slough Town away, I think, and was the only one we won. Of course, um, but yeah, we went we went to all sorts. Um, so obviously, your listeners of older vintage, you'll remember Jade Goody being in the Big Brother house. Yeah, and we played a team right next that played next door to the studios, and we got chased off the lot by their security guards because we were giving a grief over the fence. It was that sort of. <laughs> it was at simpler times. Simpler yeah. Times. So so when yeah. that when you know when you were holding those trials and it was first starting, was there? Mm. Who was leading, like, the football? Um, so uh, one of our old players. Okay. Uh, it's gone. Terry. I know Terry Brown was our subsequent manager, but I can't remember his bloody surname. Um, yeah, it was one of our old players, basically. We wrote him in to do it. Um, and, <laughs> he, you know, he, he did it. And we also had a couple of other people that he knew came in and run the rule over it. And then, yeah, and it was a, it was a lot of volunteers, as, as it still is. A lot of volunteers, a lot of um, guesswork, and Terry Eames. Sorry, I'm at, it's a few listeners. Okay. I've only just woken up. Um, Terry Eames was he was an ex player, and he just came in, and we, yeah, he ran the rule over everybody and picked, as I say, about 20, 30 people. Um, one of which was my old mate who ended up playing a goal for the second half and let all four goals in at Sutton. But we don't give him too much grief about that. Um, but it was a proper sort of Sunday league affair, you know. If you imagine what Sunday league is now, it looked it looked like that, and it was. But it was just fun. It was just after all the stress of having to deal with the Milton Keynes move and things like that, yeah. just going and watching football, having a laugh, and standing around pitches with a pint. It was just yeah, it was great fun. Yeah, that's great. And then so Wimbledon obviously applied and were accepted to join a league. Yes, we, we we initially went tried to get in the Ryman League, but they wouldn't have us. Um, okay. And they said it's because they didn't want it to become about us. And we didn't want, you know, it was like, well, more for them, because we went down to the Combined Counties League, and the Combined Counties League is step nine. 
So if you imagine Premier League being step one, you see how yeah. it's different. Um, and we were playing teams that were that were playing on you know YMCA sports fields at the back yeah. of their um, the gym. You know, had to be roped off and so on and so forth. And um, we we broke every attendance record for their team every time. Um, <laughs> the, so the first t- we played Santas Town away. That was our first match. Um, and it was literally, it was at the back of uh, uh, the local community sports centre. We woke the local landlord up, the boozer, because he wasn't awake yet. And we said, can we come in for a pint? There was about 40 of us all in one big group. Um, and then we went round and it was it was a football pitch surrounded by a rope. And they'd stacked hay bales so people could stand and sit on them around the ground. And it looked like it looked like a village fete. They had the temporary toilets in the corner. They had burger vans, draw, you know, the whole lot. Their previous record attendance, I think, was in the 50s, 57. Okay. We took two and a half thousand. <laughs> That's amazing. All crammed into that one field. <laughs> That's incredible. And that must be incredible for the players as well, who are obviously used to mm. playing at that low level in front of maybe smaller crowds. To have that mm. following must have been, you know... Oh, really, it was a massive really draw for us back then. Massive draw. Um you know, there, there are certain players that played for us who would never have come to us in a million years if we hadn't have been, you know, playing in front of 4,000 at home every every week, you know. We actually had, uh, at one point, we had a New Zealand international playing for us. Okay, who was, who, who was that? Shane, Shane Smeltz. No one will ever have heard of him, but he, he's, <laughs> in fact, I think he played at the World Cup. Not the last one, but the one before. Oh, DL. Whichever one New Zealand actually got qualified for. Uh, but yeah, he played. Um so yeah, he was there when he was obviously a lot younger. Um, and then there were other people like when oh god, the, the names you could rattle off. Um, one of the people that played for us in the first year, I don't know if you remember the News of the World journalist that got imprisoned for hacking, I think it was Millie Dowler's phone, or it was involved in all that. Jesus. He played for us. Jesus. <laughs> um, okay, so that was, was, I think, was I think it was him. Okay. So was that after <laughs> that, 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 that was after that had happened? Uh, I think, yes, it was. Yeah, I think it was. It was between when it happened and the investigation. Okay, because I'm just wondering, you know, was that... Getting the timeline straight. We didn't know about it. We didn't know about it, basically. I was just going to say, yeah, that was going to be my question. How would that fit with the values of the club? Oh, Lord, no. No, we didn't have anything like that. No, we wouldn't wouldn't do anything like that. We uh, we also had um, uh, DJ Harvey. Yeah, I was just going to ask about him. (laughs) God bless him. Uh, Yes, he was there. Um, Was he good? He was quite decent, actually. Yeah, I mean, he's he's still involved. I think he's doing a fundraiser this year with um, Jay Busroyd. Um, it's got nothing to do with Wimbledon, but other, other than the fact that he used to play for us, he, he appeared at Clare Lane the other week just to sort of give it a bit of a push. Um, yeah, legends versus celebrities or something. I, I would love to plug it, but I couldn't tell you for the life of me what it's called or where it's being played. <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, he was yeah, he was quite decent. I think he played left back or left wing. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, he said, well, he put himself about a bit, and obviously for the level, it's what we needed, really. Yeah, so, yeah, sounds like a really interesting and uh, exciting, and as you said, fun time. What mm. I you know, really, and I know you've mentioned, obviously, Sandhurst Town there. Can you, mm. have you got any of the sort of memories of those earlier away days when you were in the lower league, and, and how was that? Because you've gone from, haven't you, going to Anfield, Old Trafford, mm. et cetera, mm. suddenly to uh, a very different environment, so I'm wondering how that was. That's, it was yeah culture shock, um, mm-hmm. but you know you, you sort of got used to it after a few games. I remember going to Merston, which is down in because we were all playing sort of 
clubs around southwest London and and into the home counties down down below. Merston was one that stood out because they had to hire a um, a massive marquee to put behind because their stand had recently burnt down. They put a massive marquee out the back, and apparently the night before, the chairman and his wife were uh, buttering rolls the entire night to sell in the marquee. And they they were expecting about 2,000, which they got, but not everybody wanted a cheese roll. So at the end, he was handing them out from the bin and just gets as as you leaves as you're leaving is handing these cheese rolls out. It was hilarious. But that but as a result of us taking that many pe- people for two seasons in a row because we didn't go up the first year, yeah, um, they managed to get um, a new stand put in and got the ground grading up, and then they're still going strong from from memory. I think I think they are. Um, a lot of, a lot of teams like that did benefit from having us in there, which is why I say when Ryman didn't let us in. Yeah, it kind of bit them on the backside because that was when we were constantly taking two and a half thousand to every ground we went to. Yeah, as you said, that's um, actually, that's it's not just about you then, is it? It's actually benefiting all, all the other teams at that level. Yeah, I mean, no, no one knew we'd do that. I mean, it, it was a bit of a fanciful thought that we would take that many people away because we weren't even taking that many people away in the in nationwide one at the time. Yeah, but I think because it was all local teams, because it was this whole new thing that was, you know, I mean, you didn't know who was going to play week off week. It, it settled into a pattern after a while, but um, I always remember if you, you were disappointed if you didn't see Keith Ward playing in, as a part of a back four because he was a big sod he scored one of the first goals as well right. and kevin cooper who is not the kevin cooper that played for wolves and birmingham and wimbledon it's yeah. a different kevin cooper who is still our record goal scorer because he's, he's i think he scored one in every game or every one and a half games or something um and if you didn't see him playing you were worried but he's you know you got used to the players and it was the it was the uniqueness of having all these different places to go to and they weren't far from home and um, and it was just, yeah, it was a culture shock, but we got over it really quickly. Yeah, that's great. And then obviously Wimbledon started to move up the leagues. Mm. Um, yeah, we we got we where else where else have we been? We've been Ryman Ryman won, which we we blew through and uh, won on the first attempt. So can I just we, ask? Sorry, when when Ryman said, let me, I just want to try and understand the, the ladder. Yeah, no mm. So did you then get promoted from that combined league into the? The Ryman League. Yeah, so the combined counties is a feeder into the Ryman League Division One level. So there's four, I think at the time there were four different branches, depending on the area of the country you were in. And each of those four had a Premier Division and a Division One. And then if, in the Division One, you had feeder leagues, which could be a number of leagues. Yeah. Um, and people were promoted based on how they did in those feeder leagues. Yeah. So okay. it went from the combined counties to Ryman Division One, which we breezed through then to the Ryman Premier League which we were in for three seasons um, got promoted via the playoffs then the Conference South as was yeah which is National League South now then the Conference then League Two League One okay so so although Ryman had rejected your application to join them initially they couldn't actually there's nothing they could do is there about you getting promoted from that not a damn thing and we did have a laugh when we did it yeah but that was Um, amazing that first season in Division One was it was part of the main part of um, what still is the current English Senior Football League's unbeaten run record. Okay, um, I think it's seventy eight. Seventy eight games without being beaten. Um, and so yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong; some of them weren't classics and nil nils and all sorts of things thrown in. But 
yeah, in, in, of a league unbeaten run in English men's senior football, we are still the holders of that record. <laughs> that's incredible. And as you said, that's, I guess, a lot of that is down to the large following, which attracted stronger players, I guess. Is that fair? And I guess gave you a bit of a bigger budget in terms of, um, you know, gate receipts. Was that, again, allowing oh, you to yeah, I mean, it was, attract? Obviously, yeah, obviously having that money behind us helped. Um, yeah. it, it wasn't the be all and end all because pe- some of the people in the high divisions were still expecting, you know, higher wages. And, you know, we didn't have, we, we weren't exactly, we weren't, what's the best way to describe it? We weren't pulling a Man City and like dragging all these superstars in of the non-league world all the time. But yeah. we had a good spine of very well-known non-league players. Um, John Main, Danny Kedwell, um, also of, of that sort of time, they were the players that you'd want in your team. So much so that Steve Evans, um, Sorry, I realised for some of your supporters that'll be it. Be swear, <laughs> no, swear words. But Steve Evans tried to buy um, Danny Kedwell from us when he was at Crawley, uh, Evans, and when they were non-league, and we were the division below, I think. Um, and he, he tapped him up illegally. Um, and so okay. there was a whole hoo-ha over that. And the next game, uh, basically, one of, the, one of the people who set the club up did... 20 odd t- white t shirts with Danny Kedwell's face saying there are some things money can't buy because we were playing Crawley. <laughs> that's, that's class. And we played Crawley that season, and it was, yeah, it was, that was, you know, this the sort, that's the sort of thing we always used to do. It's good fun. Yeah. That's great. And then was there a time then when you thought, actually, you know, this is going really well? There is, you know, there's a real possibility here of us getting back into the Football League. Yeah, no one really believed it, but the fact it only took us nine years, hence the name of the nine years podcast, by the way, if anybody's asking, ah, yeah. um, it took us nine years, was nothing short of a, of a miracle, I think, especially when we were three seasons in the Ryman Premier and we kept stalling and it was we just thought we were never going to get there. And luckily we got there. I think that if you can pick a time in those nine years where you really thought we had something, it was as we won the, the playoffs for the Ryman Premier to get into the Conference South, and then I think we were only one season in Conference South before we went up again. Uh, that really was the tipping point, I think, when people started to think, actually, we've got something here. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's great. And was it then? And I know it, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you, you, you had been formed for such a short time. But was there like mm. an expectation or a pressure from fans who wanted to sort of move up quickly? How did that work within the club? I don't think there was at the time. Um, sorry, hold on. Yeah, I don't think there was at the time. Um, it was more a case that we were just happy that we were able to have a club to support. It was called Wimbledon, and it was one in the eye to the FA. I mean, the we are the we're the thing that the FA really doesn't like admitting that actually worked, and they shouldn't have authorised the move to Milton Keynes because we proved that if they'd have just said sold sold it. As as we see lots lots of examples now in the league with well Luton yourselves at one point were a fan owned and Exeter another one good example yeah um, it was possible and the FA had the right hump with us when we first started um, so it is you know there was no expectation when we first started the only expectation was that we existed and we were sticking two middle fingers up at the FA yeah. That's great. That's great. Okay, Chris, so you then started to, as we discussed, move up the leagues. You've made it into the Conference South, the National League South as it is now, and into the National League. Were there any other 
I guess the ground started to improve, the grounds that you were visiting. So were there any other away days that stick in your mind from that time? So regrettably at that time, I just started working uh, for the Met Police and don't all boo at once. So my um, my attendance at matches started to dwindle a bit, but there was still, still the occasional one I'd go to. Um, I think I remember in the conference prem because they because obviously the, like you say the grounds were getting more impressive. The, the we were playing teams Wrexham, Cambridge I think was in there that year, and Mansfield. You know all sorts of teams now that the Staples. Um, yeah. Uh, or well, not so much Cambridge maybe, but you know Mansfield and Wrexham's and you. I think Grimsby were there. I think Darlington, York, all that's all sort of what you at the time would have considered league standard teams. Yeah, and we were just we were somehow blazing up to second place and managed to get to the playoff final, which I know is a sore point for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I was I was at that playoff final. Um, yes, yeah, so I was. I yeah, <laughs> as a Luton fan. Yeah, and you know, I I can remember, I can remember bits about it. I do remember, obviously, Luton had a, a larger following than Wimbledon that day. Just guess, a bit, <laughs> but I guess um, for you that must have been. Quite amazing, as you said, in such a short space of time to go from you know watching them at Sandhurst Town to then progressing through the leagues, and now all of a sudden you're back at you know a, a quite impressive new stadium with the yeah, yeah. with the um, obviously possibility of getting back into the football league. So do you want to tell me you know how that day was for you and and what your experiences were? That day was I was uh, meant to be at work and I didn't go to work, um, naughty boy, and that's all been sorted. If anybody's listening. Um, current environment, you never know. Um, <laughs> that was a that was a train journey up with my dad and my brother, um, and my mates uh, met up there. And of course, it was it was in Manchester, which was very annoying. I, I forget why there was something else going on at um, Wembley. Was it a concert or something? I can't remember. Oh, it's bloody ridiculous! It was the one year we get there, and of course, it's up in Manchester and not Wembley. Um, but we, you know, we we persevered and we got up there and. Yeah, it was again. We went there in more, more than more in hope than expectation. Yeah, I mean, Luton, with you know, big, big club, definitely not deserved to be in. Because was it the season before you had that thirty ridiculous thirty point deduction? Was it I can't remember. If it, I, can't, I can't remember if it was the that season after. But obviously, Luton mm. spent after that thirty point deduction had six mm. or seven years trying to get out of the conference. Yeah. And so we really helped you along with that. Yeah. Um, but you've done, listen, you've done all right ever since. I mean, blimey, compared to us, you've gone on leaps and bounds, which I think is mainly due to having sort of a a, a, a revenue stream far in excess of ours. Um, because obviously we were still at King's Meadow at the time and that was very limited in what we could do. So we didn't yeah. have the banqueting halls. We didn't have the, you know, the, the extra added match day experience we could have done, which we, we're starting to wise up to now and making more money at Plough Lane but obviously that cost us a huge chunk of money then but no uh, uh, sorry getting back to City and Manchester Stadium more more in hope than expectation and yeah you did you dwarfed our following um I think it was it was approaching 20,000 I think and I would say 12,000 were were Luton and 8,000 were your standard Wimbledon fans and the ones that came along for a day yeah um but that that was a long day I mean obviously it's Luton or Wimbledon fans listening to this, you'll know it went to penalties. Um, and Danny Kedwell, of course, scored the, the winning one after Seb Brown made two saves. Which, you know, I mean, if, if it wasn't for him and, and Kedwell, I think you know, you would have easily won that. But Seb Brown definitely kept us in the game all the way through the goalkeeper. And, and Kedwell's management, man management at the end, was very much 
part of the reason why we ended up going up. But yeah. a fun day. And Kedwell was a bit of a talisman, wasn't he, for that? Yeah. Seeing that that season, I can you know I can remember him remember him well. Yeah, his um, him and John Main formed a hell of a partnership, and uh, in fact, in our mu- club museum at Plough Lane, there's still um, a dual case with one each of their boots that signed for being. I think they were names, you know, most lethal duo or whatever, um, and they were winning awards left, right, and centre in the in the Premier. Um, and there's yeah, they're still on display quite proudly in there. Um, I still see John Main at Plough Lane every now and then. Um, had a few pints with him back in the day. And so, and Joe Shearing was it was a massive drinker as well. well that's a, that's another story, and we'll just shout my alcoholism. Um, <laughs> I was just, I was just actually that's you know that leads to a question really. So in those lower league mm. days, mm. you know, I guess there was more sort of player and fan interaction. You know, did the players come into the bar after the game? Yeah, every time. Yeah, I mean, it normally ended with the um, chairman at the time, Chris Stewart, doing meatloaf on the karaoke at sort of nine <laughs> o'clock, ten o'clock. Um, in the pub bar at Kings Meadow, which um, I mean, Kingstonian fans do have a problem with us um, still, even now, suggesting that we kick them out of Kings Meadow because when we sold it to Chelsea, when we bought Kings Meadow from the then Kingstonian chairman, yeah, he was about to sell to a property developer, which would have involved the levelling and building of flats on that ground, and um, we stopped that happening. We didn't charge. I think we charged Kingstonian a nominal fee to pay their let them keep all their money from the bars, etc. Did them a massive favour compared to what Palace did for us at Sellers. Yeah. Um, and they didn't put any plans in place. And then even when we said, look, we're selling up and going, here's a million pounds, they haven't done anything with it. Um, so they really need to look, take a look inside themselves, I think, a bit. But that's a minor <laughs> bugbear that I have from that time. Um, yeah, the players were around a lot more. Um, uh, that obviously, as we've come to Plough Lane, it's drift, drifted off a little bit. And there is there has been a change at Plough Lane. And, no one wants to admit it because it's a for what we were able to afford, what we got is is brilliant. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, there is a change. Um, the clubs become a little bit more closed off, maybe I think. Whereas before it was all in together, now it's customers and customers and management. You know, yeah. which is a shame. So you, I do miss that togetherness, and I do miss that ability to just bump into your centre forward and buy him a beer. Yeah, it, and it's, that's know. interesting. That's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess you know, if if what happened. You know, never happened. If the move to MK mm. Downs never happened, you would have never experienced that. Never, never would have had it. Um, yeah. But now it sounds like actually there's part of you that misses that as well. Yeah, oh, definitely. It was. It's weird. You you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And when we were consumers in the Premier League, and when we were there, I mean, when once I got a job there, when well, I started off by going into the club shop as a just as a supporter to help out, and then then I got the job. Um after the matches we'd go up and into the members bar and players would and it was the players bar at the time yeah and you'd see some of your favorites walking in and stuff but you it was they were still sort of you know god tier you didn't really approach them unless you knew them you know or unless you knew someone knew them or but when when we moved into king's meadow and then the players were they were actively encouraged to come into the bar afterwards and to be honest some of them you know it was interrupting their saturday drinking session so <laughs> The fact they were able to come into the bar afterwards was great, and uh, yeah, and there was a lot more of a of a community feel. And we t- we try to keep that going at Plough Lane, but it's it's definitely it's on the wane, sadly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So getting back then to that obviously incredible day at, at the uh, the had Stadium for, for Wimbledon's fans, promotion back to the Football League. Did that feel different to you know the previous promotions? 
because there's always, you know, there's always, I don't know what it is, but there's something about the football league, isn't there? You know, that's it's sort of what mm. lots of non-league clubs strive for. And I know yeah. you've touched on actually things are not necessarily better in the football league, but did that feel like a, a sort of turning point? Well, that was always our aim. Our yeah. aim was always to get to the football league to prove the final point, yeah. which is that, you know, because one thing we were scoffed at, there was, um, I, can't, I won't try, I'll probably mess the quote up, but one of the findings of the panel that initially um, allowed the move to Milton Keynes, shall we say, said that the possibility of a club being run by fans rising from the ashes, like a Wimbledon AFC, for example, um, basically they rubbished it. They said, well, it wasn't going to happen. You know, if they sold it up to the fans, it would just fold and die. Um, and it was it was our way of saying, we may have gone down a few divisions, but by God, we came back up again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was our sort of... I do remember one of the commentary team sort of almost squealing in disbelief when the penalty went in. We're in League Two. It was just crazy. <laughs> um, it was, it was, yeah, it was the that final FAFU, which was our um, mantra for some time. Yeah, so that moment where we were like, hey, we're back. It's a bit yeah. like, a bit like so, The Shining, you know. <laughs> it's almost sticking sticking the two fingers up at them for for what happens. Mm. Yeah, because because it shouldn't have happened. No. There's there's no two ways about it, and everybody. I mean, I still get the old, oh, which Wimbledon do you support? It's like, yeah, okay, change the record. Um, <laughs> especially when you get it from some fans that, you know, could it could have been them, and I do remind them of that on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, but you, you still get the old, you know, the jabs every now and then, oh, do, don't you mean Milton Keynes Dons? No, I fucking don't. And the sooner they change their name from Milton Keynes Dons, the bloody better, because they're no more Dons than... I don't know. I, you know, I can't even think of something to say there. They're just not... They're <laughs> nothing to do with Wimbledon. They've got... They... they, they the little shits did a legends section and they brought some ex Wimbledon players out when we went up there, I think, in the FA Cup. Right. And you're like, oh, piss off. They have nothing to do with this club. Absolutely yeah. not a goddamn thing. And you just, you know, the sooner they move away from that, the better. They still think they won the FA Cup in 88, which in terms of lineage of, yes, I suppose that is true. But they, none of them were there. None of them gave a shit then. No. Anyway, I'm getting angry again. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's move back then to Wimbledon. And, and yes. Some, some more positive stuff. Yes, so, let's go. So can you remember then the, the, or did you attend the first away game in that when you were back in the Football League? Now, there's the question. I know I was at the first home game because we played in um, we played in white and blue, which were our old colours, and I think we lost, uh, I think it Coventry. My memory is very poor of those days. Um, and one of the first away games I seem to remember was was again away at Crawley, okay. Um, which wasn't far for us. I think it was the one of the first ones. Oh, God, my memory is really bad. Oh, just like him. Um, and then you know, again, it was it was just another case of um, moving up to another division, wasn't it? It's everything's a little bit bigger. Everything you're feeling a little bit smaller, and we we moved from being big fish small pond or yeah it's medium fish medium pond whatever you want to say it to all of a sudden um we were like oh we, we're in trouble here and it, it, it did show in our performances throughout the season because we were very lucky to stay up i think we won uh it needed a like a 60th minute penalty was probably even later than that from jack midson um 
to keep us in the division. Um, if we didn't win, we were down. Um, I, think, I think it was that year. Yeah, it was that year. It was definitely the last minute. Oh, no, it was the following season. The first season we finished sort of about two-thirds of the way down. It was the season afterwards that we needed that 2-1 win at the end because if we hadn't have won that game with our ridiculous goal difference, we would have been relegated. Right. And instead, Barnet, Barnet went down instead <coughs> with all the shot at the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that was, I mean, I remember so I remember going to Gillingham that year, um, that first year, uh, okay. Oxford. What, what's Gillingham? Sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, what's no, Gillingham? I've never been to Gillingham, but you can see on the telly the away stand, which is it, is it that one without covers sort of behind the goal? It's a death, it's a death trap. <laughs> is that it? entire stand is a death trap. How they are physically allowed to let that thing open when there's more than a stiff breeze, I don't know. <laughs> um, it is, you know, I've, I hated sitting in it. I took my daughter to it, I think, that year. And um, I mean, we won bizarrely because we were losing quite heavily at one point. We thought we were knackered, but we won. And um, yeah, you, you feared for your life halfway up there. It was, I don't know if you went to Brighton when they were ground hopping back in the day. No, I didn't. And they were, they were, they were, they were at an athletics track and their away stand was much like that. And it actually, I think part of it collapsed during one game. There was no one on it, thank God. But you, you feared, you feared for your safety out there. Bloody hell. was not fun. No. <laughs> and is there, is there any other grounds then that you really fear going to? Is there a particular ground that you don't enjoy going to or you, you think is, you know... Not in, not in terms of, of safety-wise, no. It's um, And in fairness, I mean, we're, we're always quite... Everyone sort of just doesn't mind us, if that makes sense. I think... I mean, going back in time when, when Wimbledon... When I was at, going away against Wimbledon FC... Portsmouth was always a bit of a risky place to go because the away end, before it's all been closed now, had um, a footpath behind it where the home fans used to go and chuck bottles over the top. But you don't get anything like that. No. Oh, yeah, all sorts, coins, bottles, the lot. I mean, I made a bit of money out of that, to be fair. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, now not a lot of teams don't mind us, you know? Yeah. We're sort of we're sort of that team. Everybody doesn't mind. There are a few people who don't like us. I mean, I, for some reason, where I was at Plough Lane last week for Mansfield, and their fans got awfully annoyed when we scored, even though they then scored three. Um, they got really annoyed, and one got carted out, and all sorts. So I don't know what that was about. Right. But no, no, no one seems to mind us. We're just we're sort of we're sort of just there now. Yeah. Okay. In spite you... of our attempts to get out of the league. <laughs> And have you got a particular favourite ground that you've visited since um, AFC since Wimbledon was formed? Since AFC, I did enjoy Rotherham's ground. Um, they had new one. Okay. And uh, I went up to, where else did I go? Morecambe. I like Morecambe. Oh, yeah. Because you could walk along the seafront and then walk around the corner and you'd be at the ground. And Yeah. It was nice to have a pint at the seafront and see the statue, Eric Morecambe's statue. Yeah. Um, because he's got he's got history with you as well, hasn't he, Eric Morecambe? Is it is it he's Eric Morecambe? Yeah, he's a he's a Luton fan. Yeah, um, but as you said, he's 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 from he's from Morecambe, isn't he? I think from so. Morecambe, yeah, so, yeah. And so I went out there and had a picture with a statue, and yeah, enjoyed that. Um, Exeter at the time because we went down there once, and it was a, a the away end was about three steps before you fell backwards. But that was a nice sort of old older stadium. I like. It's difficult because quite a few stadiums now are, are popping up like Lego kits. Um, yeah. And I include ours in that. Um, and so some of them don't have a lot of um, personality. So I do prefer sometimes the older ones that have got a bit of personality. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. I absolutely agree. And I was, you know, yeah. I was surprised when you said you didn't think Sellers Park was great. That's a ground that I enjoy visiting. And you know, it's, the, the, wood, the wooden seats, I still love being on a, ter a terrace. Yeah. Like you no, said, there's, well, there's so many grounds, isn't there, that are I love, love a terrace, part, of, yeah. part of a retail park. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Derby's, Derby's was the first. I think Derby and Middlesbrough, from memory, in the back in the 90s, they were the first ones that started that. And because yeah. um, I think is Luton's ground going the same way? I thought the latest was you were moving out. They are, they are, yeah, in the process of getting a new ground. Yeah, and I think that's going to be an interesting time because mm. I mean they need a new ground. Absolutely, yeah. you know, everybody's always amazed when they go to the Luton away end of, of what it's like, and it gets a lot of. I've been there a few times. Yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of bad press, but I, I love, I love those sort of older grounds and those more traditional yeah. grounds. You know that. They're great. I'd much rather visit one of them than somewhere that's you know out of the town centre, in mm. the middle of in the middle of a retail park with with nothing much about. Yeah, I mean we we were quite lucky in that the um when the we we arranged to go back to Plough Lane, Greyhound Stadium, which was dying. I mean it was riddled with asbestos and no one was going. Yeah, um, was available literally over the bridge from where we used to play, which is now a housing estate. Um. So we were quite lucky that we didn't have to go into the middle of nowhere because at one point they were talking about down the A3 back in the 90s, which is near where my parents live, which is quite far out. Right. Um, so, you know, we, we were lucky in a way that that came when it did. It all fell into place. And um, we've tried to keep that unique bit, but it's very, it is very Lego. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, hopefully we can get some more uh, soul into it at some point. Be nice. But yeah, it'd be a shame to lose Kenilworth Road because... It, it always fascinated me that I was literally walking through somebody's living room and under their bedroom to get to the away end. <laughs> yeah. And I do remember getting lost there um, when we played you in the, I think it was a Coca-Cola cup at the time, which would have been 95, 96. Okay. And um, extra time it was, I, I, one, I think it was Aidan Newhouse, and that is a name no one will know, but <laughs> a, a random, random goal scorer at the time. And because you're away end, does it still dip below the level of the pitch? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. It does, doesn't it? And I remember I had to pick my mate out from a bundle that happened at the bottom because he, he was lying <laughs> along the bottom. Um, and, uh, yeah, going home from that was an experience because uh, your fans at the time didn't really like us winning that. <laughs> you know, walking across the... Because um, you've got... Nearby, you have a, um, a roundabout that's sunk into the ground and the bridges that go across it. Is that still there? Yeah. I know yeah, we're walking yeah. across that and some bloke threatened to throw us off it. <laughs> Damn <laughs> We were only 15. <laughs> That's yeah. And it is what it is. It is. Yeah, um, but yeah that was, yeah. that was, well, yeah, that actually, that was one of the first away games I went to because it wasn't that far away. Right. I think 96, 97, maybe. I can't remember. Um, yeah, but that would be a great loss because it, it, again, it's, I mean, it would be great for the people that live around your ground. Yeah. One of them might even get a garden out of it. You know? <laughs> yeah. We'll have to see what happens with that. Yeah, knocks through. Yeah. Okay, so then in, in terms of um, moving forwards, do you what? What are the hopes for for Wimbledon and for Wimbledon fans? Uh, not getting relegated. That has always been our um, aim. Whatever season we started, because to be honest, since we came up in the playoffs in 2016, which is another away day I went to, and I was actually on the pitch for that one. Okay, do you want to, do you um, want to tell us about that? I can do if you want to come back to that one. That was uh, that was against Plymouth. Um, a mate of mine has dressed as the mascot for about 14, 15 years. 
Okay. As the Womble, Hayden the Womble. Um, <laughs> and he asked me what he asked me a couple of years before. He said, occasionally I match journey someone just to make sure I don't trip over, kill any children, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. At King's Meadow. And um I said, Yeah, no worries, I'll, I'll help out when I can. And that became a regular thing. Um, so I literally just follow this bloke round in a massive furry womble costume. Um <laughs> as he drags his because he drags his bin round and bangs it um because it's you know wimble wombled wombles of yeah. wimbledon and picking up rubbish and all that sort of stuff that that has continued into plowing but um so he asked me to go to wembley for the day um to make sure again make sure he didn't fall over and so on's force and yeah that was an experience because we we basically went up about an hour and a half before kickoff we were stood on the pitch walking around and seeing the fans but wembley's terrible because you've got that huge sort of flo floating moat thing that's made of wires that you, you can't really get anywhere near yeah um yeah we walked around went back into the dressing room um came out after we won which was unexpected as well because plymouth were odds on for that yeah um we uh he went back he said i want to travel back to the ground in in the costume i was like all right then <laughs> that was that was me not that was me having to sit and we we somehow got lured onto a double-decker bus that had been hired for the day by the group of fans, stopped at several pubs on the way back. He was absolutely... I mean, those things are not cool. Um, he was sweating like God knows. Um, but he, did, he, got, he got service with pints, and we eventually got back to the ground before the players, but almost exactly the same time. And so he decided to greet them all as they got off the coach, which was fine, because there was a party back at the, at the ground, because obviously we got promoted. And... Um, we all got swept into the dressing room with the players. So there was me, this giant Womble man, and the first team, just mucking about in the um, in the dressing room and you know giving the speech about time to go out and mingle with the fans and so on and so forth and well done and everything and enjoy today because tomorrow you'll be off and whatever. And then, luckily, because he was leaving, I managed to get a picture with um, Akin Fenwar when he was leaving. All right. So that was that was an away day and a half. Yeah, that's and, amazing. Um, probably was the it? one that. Go, go on. on. No, no. I was just going to say, was was he able to drink through the uh, Womble costume? We we managed to sort it out without ruining it for the children. <laughs> <laughs> he can see through three, two eye holes which point to the sky, and a mouthpiece that points to the floor. I mean, they didn't did not think that through. <laughs> um, but it was, but it's a it's a licensed Womble. Um, it's all through the Beresford family, and they they were very generous in allowing us to have our own Womble in inverted commas. Because um, initially, the club, the Wimbledon FC, did have a, I think they called it Wandle the Womble, um, nice. which was a bit of a mouthful. But that's after the river that pardon, used to run by Powell Lane. Um, but that got canned after a year because they went to Milk Keynes and didn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I interrupted you there. Were you going to lead on to something else then? Oh, no. I think I was rambling. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that feels like a, a good way to finish the, the Womble story. Obviously, the promotion at Wembley. That was up to League One, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And then we've had five seasons of utter drivel, and then we got relegated last year. <laughs> yeah, so so back in League Two, but still in the football league. Yeah, um, and has which there, has always been the aim. Yeah, yeah. Have you had any sort of um, major cup ties or anything that you've been able to go to over the past few years? Um, only ones where we've lost. Mm. No, there's been. It's, we we are we are very much. Um, we sort of we've had to cut a cloth. When we bought Plough Lane, we had to. At one point, we were going to lose it completely because we just didn't have the cash. And several fan-backed projects have basically paid for the ground 
So we are looking at the minute just to keep on a level on an even keel, which means we can't go massively into the transfer market. Yeah. We do rely on away game cup matches, for example. We've had a couple um, in the recent past. We were away at Tottenham and one away at Arsenal, I think, and that's obviously helped. Yeah, but we're we're, we're not we're, we're not raking it in, but at the same time we're not hemorrhaging money. So we're just until we start to sort of tip that balance in our favour, getting the big sponsorships in, getting the big money making things we can do from the ground uh, we are just staying on an even keel and that the key for that is staying in the football league yeah great well thanks so much for your time Chris it's been great and like I said I think it's Wimbledon's a really interesting story and I think it it also highlights actually you know there's more to football isn't there than just the Premier League and the Championship mm-hmm. if you like there's some you know fans are having incredible experiences um, at all levels so I really appreciate your time No, thanks for having me Um, and good luck with the podcast. I hope it goes really well. Thank you.